a little bit of looking forward and also while we're at it, a little bit of looking back as well. On today's edition of Locked in LSU, I'll give out my game balls, offense, defense, and special teams. Plus, we'll start to look ahead to LSU starting SEC play against Mississippi State on Saturday. All that and more on today's edition of Locked in LSU. You are Locked on LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, thank you for making Locked On LSU your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we are part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. My name is Caroline Fenton and I am your host as I am every day. I have been covering LSU football since 2016 and I now host a sports talk radio show for ESPN 1025 The Game in Nashville, Tennessee. You can find us on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. You can also find us on YouTube as well. So you can watch us on the go, listen to us on the go, throw us up on your smart TV, however you prefer to watch. You can do that with audio and you can also do it with video as well. But before we move forward, looking to that game against Mississippi State, huge game, LSU starting SEC play, Brian Kelly's first SEC game as an SEC head coach. I mean, there's there's big implications for this game. Starting one and two is, is not necessarily the expectation for year one for Brian Kelly, not for us as fans, and also probably not within that building as well. But we'll get into all of that. We'll get into the nitty-gritty, the X's and O's, the on-the-field stuff, the off-the-field stuff, the implications of the game. We'll get into that today and also as we go on throughout the week as well. But before we do that, I want to wrap up my thoughts on, on the Southern game, what I saw from the Southern game, the good things that I saw. So I'm going to give out my game balls from the game against Southern. And I will continue to do this every single week um, as a recap for every game. Offense, defense, special teams, who deserves the game ball, who had the most highlighted performance, either one, two, or a group of players who I really thought shined um, in that first in that first game. So looking at the offensive game balls, I feel like there was a, a very obvious one here and there was a very not so obvious one here. I have that for offense and for defense. One that was like, yeah, duh, that's a gimme, but also a player that maybe went under the radar or didn't get, you know, the most obvious quote unquote game ball, didn't get the most obvious, you know, love for that game. So my most obvious game ball um, for that game against Southern was Jaden Daniels, obviously. And my, my thing here is, I'm never going to rip on or criticize or question the decision-making of a player one week and they turn around and seem to figure those things out or they have a good performance and then not give them credit for that. I will give credit where credit is due and I very much so will give credit where criticism where, where criticism is due. I'm going to be completely fair here. So as much as I, I really, and honest, to be completely fair, I didn't criticize Jaden Daniels very harshly after that Florida State game because I didn't think that was necessarily justified. I think a lot of LSU fans were criticizing him pretty harshly, saying that he was the problem, calling for Garrett Nussmeyer. I wasn't doing any of that, and I think I made that fairly clear um, during the Florida State game and also in the aftermath as well, in my kind of my breakdowns of those games. But, I, you know, I, there were some situations in that game against Florida State where I thought – Jaden Daniels looks incredibly uneasy, uncomfortable, not very confident. He doesn't want to stand back in the pocket. He doesn't want to go through those progressions. He just wants to immediately jet off and run. And I thought that was a problem that needed to be fixed. And I saw that at least 
fixed or improved upon against Southern because there were several moments in that game against Southern where I think that he could have, you know, if he felt a little bit of pressure, he could have just gone off and run. And maybe he would have made a play doing so. But if you're going to have to fix those, I don't want to call it a confidence issue, but one of those problems or little tweaks in your game that are going to be more difficult to implement against a Mississippi State or a Florida or an SEC opponent. You have to start making those habits and building those habits and changing, you know, whatever was a habit before against the gimmies. You got to do it against Southern. If you can't drop back in the pocket against Southern, you're not going to do it against Mississippi State. So I like to see that Jaden Daniels was making some of those changes and looked like a much, much, much more confident passer against Southern. 10 of 11, 137 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Absolute offensive fireworks in the fourth first quarter from Jaden Daniels. Of course, he wasn't out there too long. He didn't need to be. Of course, I know I'm couching all of my takes from Southern, saying it's Southern. I understand that there is much, much, much more difficult foes in, down the line. There's a lot more work to be done, but we're going to take the wins where we can get them. And I like to see that Jaden Daniels was making some of those fixes that we saw in the Florida State game in the Southern game as well. But I think one player that wasn't the obvious game ball, in my opinion, Jane Daniels was the obvious offensive game ball, just by what he did and also considering, you know, how how apprehensive he was to pass the ball, at least in the first half, first three quarters against Florida State. It was nice to see those changes made. But the one that's not obvious, I think, was Malik Neighbors. I mean, this kid it was the two muffed punts heard around the world um, a couple Sundays ago. And, and rightfully so, you cannot make those mistakes. You cannot drop those balls. I mean, special teams are gimmies. You got to take the gimmies whenever you can get them. I don't care who your opponent is. And Malik Neighbors didn't do that. But as a receiver, even against Florida State and also against Southern as well, I think Malik Neighbors has shown a a whole lot of promise. And he led the team in receiving yards, 81 yards on three receptions that he had that one 60 yard bomb and a touchdown as well against Southern. So I mean, a big comeback from Malik neighbors. I understand his blunders didn't come in the passing game. They came in special teams, but I think that there's a big confidence issue there that could be there. Not, I'm not talking about specifically Malik neighbors, but just in general, I think there's a big confidence thing that could really kind of hit you moving forward that you could get in this funk or you could get this bug that you just can't seem to shake after a bad game I mean that happens I mean sports are mental um we didn't see that from like neighbors so good to see them moving forward although he is not um at least against southern was not on the uh punt return team it was good to see him taking care of business and doing his job on the offensive side of things so Jaden Daniels and Malik neighbors get my offensive game balls but moving to the defensive side of the ball, one guy that I did not expect this much from, but I am very, very, very pleased, is Micah Baskerville. I mean, that man was all over the place against Southern on Saturday night. And we didn't really hear a whole lot about Micah Baskerville in camp. He wasn't taking first team or even many, very many second team reps as well. He was just kind of flying under the radar in training camp. And I think that may have been due to the fact that Micah Baskerville was supposed to be ineligible, at least for the first two games of the year. It could have been even longer. So of course, you know, whatever eligibility issue he was facing, obviously he played against Southern. So that wasn't an issue anymore, but he had the pick six. Micah Baskerville was all over the place and he needs to be playing. He needs to be a starting defensive player on this LSU team because he has such good awareness. I mean, and he is a ball player now. He's an incredibly physical linebacker. And I think too, looking at this, not just the defensive line, but that front 
that full front, the defensive front for LSU, there's so many players that have proved to be able to plug and play in different areas. I wouldn't be surprised to see Micah Baskerville kind of plugging and playing at different areas on that front end as well. Um, but also Harold Perkins gets another one of my defensive game balls. I really liked what I saw from him against Florida state. And, you know, he really shined against Southern. Whenever some of those guys that were a little bit lower on the depth chart, um, I, they got their opportunity. And I think that's great. I mean, Harold Perkins had the dumb penalty against Florida state. You cannot have unsportsmanlike penalties, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties like that. It's just dumb stuff that hurts the team. But Harold Perkins led the team in tackles. He had seven total tackles on the night. He played in several different positions as well. Not only filled in on the offense, or excuse me, on the defensive line, but he also took some linebacker snaps as well. So again, that, that entire defensive unit, um, just showing off that depth there, the depth and the skill and just the sheer size on some of these young guys. I mean, Harold Perkins does not look like a true freshman. Harold Perkins is going to be a problem moving forward. So Micah Baskerville and Harold Perkins, two guys that, you know, they're not your Ali Gays. They're not your BGO Jalaris. They're not going to be, you know, your front men. They're not going to be the faces of your defense, but they absolutely, I think, have laid the foundation to become that and to be serious playmakers and disruptors moving forward. So that was another thing I liked was Harold Perkins and Micah Baskerville. And with special teams, gosh, it was so nice to have something nice to say about special teams this week. We love growth and we love improvement. But on special teams, I was tempted to just give the game ball to special teams as a whole for figuring the things out from going from, you know, two muffed puns to, you know, a couple solid punt returns. Um, so that was good. I was tempted to just give it to the team as a whole. But we don't do that around here. We do not do that around here. Uh, but Gregory, Gregory Clayton had a nice little 18-yard uh, pump return there. Good, you know, fine, solid. I don't need, uh, you know, I don't need a return for 40, 50, 60 yards. Just, you know, take care of the football and gain the yardage wherever you can get it. So Gregory Clayton gets a special teams ball as well as Damian Ramos. He made all eight of his extra points. Good. Those are the gimmies. You know, that those seem like very, very boring game balls to give. You know, a pump returner who caught the punt and returned it for 18 yards. And then also your kicker who's making all of his extra points, eight of them at that. That's a lot. It's hefty, um, but that's a good problem to have. Um, but they did their job. And I think that after that performance against Florida State, that's all we can ask from the special teams unit. Pick up the gimmies get the points where you can get them, play clean football, and then move forward from there. So Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, Micah Baskerville, Harold Perkins, Damian Ramos, and Gregory Clayton, they get my game balls against Southern. But coming up next, let's go ahead and move forward. Southern was a great win. It was a fun game. It was a confidence builder for LSU. Let's push that to the rear view on to Mississippi State, on to Mike Leach and the Bulldogs. So Brian Kelly spoke with the media the other day and he gave a couple updates about players that we did not see against Southern. And um, so we will get into that coming up next. Before we do that, I want to tell you about the Upside app. So from cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, I mean, inflation is hitting all of us and it's hitting us hard. I mean, I know my grocery bill is significantly higher these days than it was a couple of years ago, and I'm not buying really much more. And it really, really hurts. So that's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out, aka all of us. So with every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. You know, I've made it a priority of mine of whenever I spend money, I want to get something in return back. And that's what you can do with Upside. So whenever I go to go fill up my gas tank, 
I just bring up my upside app and it almost feels like, Hey, you know, it's, it's too good to be true, but I've used it and it works. Every time I fill up my sink of gas, I use the upside app. It is an absolute no brainer because why wouldn't you want cash back on the money that you're spending? So to get started, download the free upside app, use my promo code locked L O C K E D and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's almost half next claim an offer for whatever you're buying on upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit card and debit card, and then you'll get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn up to three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. A million dollars. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. I mean, who doesn't like making money? So download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. Well, thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, along with YouTube as well. So head to Locked on LSU on YouTube and just hit that subscribe button, and then you'll get a notification whenever the podcast drops. You'll get your LSU news instantly as soon as these podcasts drop. But moving forward to Mississippi State, this is a big one for Brian Kelly. And, you know, I'll get into all of the full implications, exactly what this game means for LSU football, for this Brian Kelly coaching staff in year one. I'll get into all of that. We've got a full rest of the week to break all of that down. But I wanted to share a few updates that Brian Kelly shared with the media when he spoke at the podium the other day. But two players that we did not see against Southern in week two. So first and foremost... John Emery. We haven't seen John Emery in a game this year. Of course, we know that John Emery was academically ineligible in the 2021 season. And then he was in camp and it was really kind of the Armani Goodwin in the Noah Kane show in, uh, in fall camp. And at the time I took that as Armani Goodwin and Noah Kane are just having just better backs. You know, they just they look to be the running backs that are going to take a majority of, of the reps in games. And then, you know, John Emery will be a supplemental piece. I kind of thought it'd be a running back by committee headed by Noah Kane and Armani Goodwin and John Emery would be a passenger on that ship. Now I'm kind of comparing that to what I see with Micah Baskerville of, you know, he played against Southern, balled out, had a great game. He got one of my defensive game balls. And we didn't see him take a whole lot of, first team reps in fall camp because I can only assume because they didn't assume that he would be eligible for the first two games of the year. So now my question is, is John Emery really the second or third team back or did they just not want to take those first game reps away from the players who would be playing against Florida state and against Southern in those first two weeks of the year, Noah Kane and Armani Goodwin. And I don't know the answer to that, but Brian Kelly spoke with the media and gave an update on John Emery and kind of what, what to expect from him in his first game back since 2020. Yeah, we're excited about getting John back, certainly, and, and I'm excited for him. Um, you know, it's been a long run for John in terms of getting a chance to, um, you know, get out and, and, and play for LSU. Um, he's worked hard to get back into this position. Um, and now he gets an opportunity. Now, let's let's be careful now. he's He's been off for a while. Um, so, um, you know, to put a lot of expectations on him in the first game, we certainly can't do that. You know, we've got other backs that have done really well, uh, but he will be part of the mix. And, 
make no mistake about it. We've seen his capabilities in camp. Uh, we've kept him active within our rotations, so uh, he's ready to play. Uh, and we did that with, you know, obviously our, our mind eyes toward the SEC competition coming up. So we're excited to get him back. There you go. That was Brian Kelly on John Emery. And I think there's there's a good bit of coach speak going on there with, with Brian Kelly because I think that he's simultaneously, simultaneously speaking to us, the fans, speaking to the media, and also simultaneously speaking to John Emery as well. In the beginning, you hear Brian Kelly couching the fact that they're excited to get John Emery back, which I don't doubt for a single second. You're not not thrilled to have a good player back that can contribute to your offense. But he also couched it with, hey, let's keep the expectations low for John Emery. I mean, and that's only fair. John Emery has not played in a game since 2020. Okay, so, I mean, out the entire 2021 season, um, of course, limited in what he was able to do just due to, in, to eligibility issues. So I think that's a fair forewarning of saying, hey, it's going to take him a little bit of time to get reacclimated. That's normal. I understand that that's to be expected. And then he goes on to say, hey, but we believe in him. You know, he's a great player. He's going to contribute a lot for this football team. So I think he's telling the media fans, hey, you know, if he's not going to be Leonard Fournette or Darius Geis in, in the first game back, that's okay. That doesn't mean that we're out on John Emery. That just means that he needs a little bit of time. While also speaking to John Emery by saying, hey, even though I said that, we believe in you and we know that you're going to have a big comeback and we're excited for you to be part of this team. Coach speak is very, very interesting because they've got to play all different angles of it. So I, I, I do wonder which one is more the truth. And I think it has to be, you know, what Brian Kelly is telling us at the media. I don't doubt that they're excited to have John Emery on the team. I don't doubt that they're excited to have him back. But I do think that they also themselves are wondering how is he going to be in his first game back? Because there's not a ton of room for error and once you start SEC play, once you play Mississippi State, you know, if you want to throw in your your guys who are getting, you know, just getting used to college play, some of the guys lowering your depth chart against Southern, go for it by all means. I think that's a great strategy. You don't have a lot of time to get yourself acclimated against Mississippi State, especially a Mississippi State team that has so many returning veteran pieces. So I think that they are wondering themselves just as much as we are. We've, you know, we, we, we've seen him. And fall camp, they know his ability, but you can never really predict how a player is going to react getting out there in the field and gameplay. So I think they're also asking themselves, you know, how do we approach John Emery? Because we want to get him reacclimated, but we also don't want to set him up to fail. And we want to give this team the best possible chance to win a game. So I think that'll be interesting moving forward. But of course, adding some depth on this, this running back core, you know, adding John Emery a piece that's been, you know, a, a part of this LSU program for a few years now. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to add some more depth, of course. Um, and another player that we did not see against Southern, but we expect to see against Mississippi State, that's what Brian Kelly had to say. Is B.J. Ojolari going to be available this week? We expect him to be available, based upon my conversations with our doctors yesterday. Thank you. So appreciate the question because I think we're all asking it of, you know, are we going to see B.J. Ojolari against Mississippi State? Exactly what happened against Southern? Because it was under my impression that he maybe got a little bit tweaked up in week one against Florida State. No need to play him against Southern. So go ahead and sit him, let him be on the sidelines um, and give him an extra week to recover. That's really how I interpreted it. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. 
um, you know, saying, couching it with, we got to, you know, with the doctors, got to say what the doctors, got to follow what the doctors say, what the doctor's orders. Um, but I think overall, you know, I think the Joe Gillari will be fine. Just needed a week of rest, but it is good to have him back uh, in the mix against Mississippi State. Also nice to have Ali Gay back in the mix, of course, out that first half against Southern with the targeting call in week one against Florida State. So, you know, that defensive four is close to full strength. Of course, no Mason Smith throughout the regular season, but it's good to have those two pieces that were missing in week two back against Mississippi State when you're really going to need it most, when you are going to have to put pressure on Will Rogers and that entire offensive line. Um, but coming up next, I want to get into something that Brian Kelly mentioned in his press conference that honestly was not something that I really thought much about, but I thought was a really interesting point. But I also don't know how much I believe him. So we'll get into that coming up next after a couple of words from your sponsors. So Brian Kelly spoke to the media um, earlier this week, kind of recapping some thoughts from Southern, also looking ahead to Mississippi State, some updates on the roster and also addressing some questions from the media. And he was asked a very interesting question from Matt Moscona. So good question from Matt Moscona about how he is approaching facing so many new head coaches. You know, he never played against Mike Leach before. Of course, they know each other. They kind of ran in the, in similar coaching trees, um, but has never played Mike Leach before. And that's not going to be the only time this season or throughout his entire tenure that Brian Kelly plays a coach for the first time. So how is he handling that? How is he approaching that? This is what Brian Kelly had to say. What's it like for you trying to prep for maybe coaches and players and and philosophies that you're learning for the first time? Um, you know, um, you know, the previous job I had, it was an independent schedule. So, you know, it was somebody new each week in a sense, right? We had so many, we had non-conference games every week. So it just feels normal. Like, all right, this is a new opponent, but I was so used to having new opponents on the schedule. So, it doesn't feel that much different for me in terms of the preparation. Um, we have advanced scouting. Our advanced scouting does a really good job of coming up with, you know, their personnel and, and their tendencies. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, how we're going to attack, you know, offensively and defensively. But um, it doesn't feel foreign to me from that perspective. So when he said that, I thought, huh, you know what? That's a good point. I mean, this is a guy who's, whose team plays, you know, a, a recycling, you know, a different teams every single year. You know, playing new coaches isn't new to him. Yeah, you know, scouting a new team, a new coaching staff, a new offensive system, new defensive system, that's not anything new to him. And then I thought, well, is it really? Because I understand him saying, you know, I, I coach at an independent school at Notre Dame. You know, we don't have a conference. You don't play Nick Saban every year. You don't play Lane Kiffin every year. So I did a little bit of digging. And I just took a, a three-year sample size from his first three years in Notre Dame to see, well, you know, if if he's such a – if he's a coach that's so used to scouting new teams, new coaching staffs, playing new coaches, getting used to playing against different coaches – having to reacclimate yourself almost every single week, every single year, playing different coaches. How much did he really do that? So it took a three-year sample size from his first three years at Notre Dame. 
2011, 2012. You know, I could have gone through the entire, you know, 11, 12 year sample size that we have from Brian Kelly, looked at every single team that they played, looked at their coach, see how much turnover there was. I could have done that. I thought three years was easiest. And I thought three years was at least fair. His first three years, I think that's fair. Just to see really how many different coaches did he play year in and year out. So let's look at who they played in 2010. Notre Dame scheduled in 2010, Brian Kelly's first year as head coach. Purdue, Michigan, Michigan State, Stanford, Boston College, Pitt, Western Michigan, Navy, Tulsa, Utah, Army, USC. Great. 2011, Brian Kelly's second year as head coach. South Florida, new one. Michigan, he played them in 2010. Michigan State, played them in 2010. Pitt, played them in 2010. Purdue, opened the 2010 season with Purdue. Air Force, who Notre Dame plays literally all the time, every year. Um, USC, played them in 2010. Navy, also played them in 2010 and also play them every freaking year. Wake Forest, did not play them in 2010, but played them in 2012. Maryland, that was a new one. Boston College, played them in 2010. Stanford, played them in 2010. Let's look at, look at 2012, because you may have had a couple home and homes, you know, a couple back and forth there. 2012, opened the season with Navy. They played them in 2010 and 2011. Purdue, played them 2010 and 2011. Michigan State, again, same thing. Michigan, same thing. Miami, they did play in 2012. Stanford, same thing. Played them 2010 2011. BYU, that was a different one. Oklahoma, different one. Pitt, played them in 2011 and 2010. Boston College, same thing. Played them the previous two years. Wake Forest, played them in 2011. And then USC, they played them in 2010. I know that's only a three-year sample size. And I know that you have coaching turnover, but in Purdue, the three times they played them, they played the, the same coach, Danny Hope, all three years. Michigan, they played them three times. They played Rich Rodriguez one year, and then Brady Hope took over the next two years as head coach. Michigan State, they had the same head coach all three years, Mark D'Antonio. Stanford, Harbaugh was the head coach in 2010, and then David Shaw took over the following years and still the reigning head coach. Boston College had the same head coach those three years that they played. Pitt, same thing. Excuse me, Pitt was three different head coaches. So that was kind of a kind of a fluky, weird thing. But that happens in every conference. You know, you're going to have teams that have constant turnover in coaches year after year after year. Look at Tennessee. They have new coaches every year. And then Navy, they played them three times and had the same coach all three years. And the same head coach is now at Navy still. So I know that that's a three-year sample size out of a 10, 11, 12-year tenure at Notre Dame. I know that, you know, there were some changes with Notre Dame and now they play more ACC teams year in and year out. I, I know that changes happen and I know that, you know, maybe a three-year sample size isn't the most fair, but I don't have all the time in the world. But also that to me, if this is a three-year sample size, multiply it by four, you probably have similar turnover and similar consistencies year after year after year. So I hear Brian Kelly saying that, hey, you know, I do, I'm used to this. I play different teams every year. Well, really, really, no, you don't. You play Army, Navy, and Air Force literally every year. Boston College every year. You have a rotation of ACC schools that you play every year. 
really, you don't play different coaches all the time. Maybe really you don't have as much experience scouting new coaches and new teams as maybe you really thought that you did. Because this is a completely different wheelhouse. You're not going to have the same turnover from, you know, Pitt, Boston College, and Wake Forest year after year. You know, those coaches aren't coaching in the SEC now. These are new. He's never coached against Mike Leach before. I don't know if he's ever coached against Lane Kiffin, maybe at USC. I don't know. But I, but I, my point being, this is a completely different ballgame. I know Brian Kelly's coached against Nick Saban before. He, there's going to be coaches that he's familiar with. That's just how coaching works. That's how these coaching trees work. But in terms of being so used to new coaching staffs, I call it BS there. Because from what I saw in those three years, you saw a whole heck of a lot of the same coaches. And also, let's be completely fair here. Because I understand that, you know, if you play, if you're an independent, you probably do, you know, in the span of 10 years, you probably do play more more head coaches or more variety of different head coaches across those 10 years than you would if you coached in the SEC or the ACC or a conference. I get that. You probably do play a few more coaches and you probably do see some more mix up, but there's a whole lot of coaching turnover in, in conferences too. And also let's not forget that you play a different, at least in the SEC, you play one different SEC team every year. So that's, that could be a different head coach that you have not seen. You play different out-of-conference games as well. So you got to get used to scheming those coaches as well. So it really never stops. I don't think that Brian Kelly has a unique skill of scouting different coaches because he coached at Notre Dame. I think that's what every coach does. But sometimes you just might see some of those coaches more frequently or more often. I don't think it's that big of a difference. But all of that to be said is I think that one of the most interesting aspects of this game on Saturday is to see how Brian Kelly fares against a coach that he has never coached against before. To see how Brian Kelly fares, you know, not just coaching against an SEC coach and Mike Leach, but also just in in an SEC environment where the stakes are incredibly high. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if Brian Kelly says, you know, this isn't anything new for me. This I'm, I'm comfortable with this. This isn't something new to me coming from an independent school. It's not new to you. And it's also not new to any other coach out there. But if it's not new to you, then how do you fare? Because there's going to be more and more head coaches coming down the pipe, not just this season, but throughout the rest of his tenure at LSU. Coaches change. You see new coaches. You got to scheme new coaches. You got to scout new coaches. That's just a part of it. So how does Brian Kelly fare? One, in his first matchup against Mike Leach. Two, in his first SEC matchup. And three, in an SEC environment. And I guess we'll see. And it will be interesting to see from all those new coaches he scouted and all those different you know schemes that he's coached against, how can you fare at LSU? And I think that's going to be the really interesting thing here. But that's going to do it for me today. Thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And coming up on tomorrow's podcast, we'll take a look at the SEC, some of the teams that LSU is going to face down the line. How are they looking so far in week two? Plus, We'll also speak with an Mississippi State football insider and get his insight on the team as well to get you set for this matchup on Saturday. But you can get more on the SEC by making Locked On SEC your second listen. Every day, host Chris Gordy and the local experts of Locked On take you across the SEC in 30 minutes. Make Locked On SEC your second listen.